You were both a bit late. So I went ahead and saved myself. Can you hear me? Can you hear me? Do you know where you are? You're in a dream. Would you like to wake up from this dream? Have you ever questioned the nature of your reality? Disaster there. That can't be bad. Welcome to the Coffee Clatch Crew Westworld episode review. I'm Jason Pistorino. I'm Christina Lomangino. And today we bring ourselves back online one last time for the season finale, The Passenger. Directed by Frederick E. O'Toy, written by Jonathan Nolan and Lisa Joy themselves. You only live as long as the last person who remembers you. And we've heard Ford say that in the past. Yes, but it takes on a whole new meaning this time around. The critics are a little mixed on this. IMDb is giving it a 9.2 and Rotten Tomatoes a 75%, their lowest of the season. They say compelling performances keep the passenger afloat among a flood of frustrating, fascinating twists. Though in true Westworld fashion, it may leave some viewers exhausted. And overall, I have to say I agree. This was an excellent episode. I really enjoyed the action and a lot of the answers we got. I thought it was a good wrap-up to Season 2 and set up for Season 3, but at some point in time, I did get a little bit frustrated with certain minor issues like Maeve's power, Lee's death, some of the things I couldn't quite tie together, and of course, whenever we get to Bernard, we have to jump around and make it confusing, right? (laughs) Yeah, and Ford's bullet. There's a lot of little things, but we're not going to let that tie us up. I wish people could see us when we were watching it. We were actually screaming at the screen when Maeve and her crew were watching Clementine come down and start planting her virus. And we were yelling, run! Just freaking run! (laughs) But there's a lot of little things and we will go over it throughout the episode. But as a whole, I did enjoy it. Visually spectacular. I implore you to watch it one more time. Now with an open mind, you're not trying to figure things out. Just watch it and see how beautiful things are. From the vast landscapes of our crew riding to the valley beyond, beautiful. They don't do that too often. Drone shots from up top, how beautiful that world was. And where they filmed it, that used to be all underwater. So that's why you had those beautiful landscapes, the beautiful tiny mountains or whatever you want to call them. They almost looked like stalagmites. Yeah, they did. To the buffalo running through them which is a scene that we got before the season even started. It was a Super Bowl commercial. That was the first time, the first glimpse we got at season two. And they were giving us the season finale there. How amazing is that? But watching the bull fall with one of the workers, oh, beautifully done. What about the visuals in the forge? I think that was my favorite part of the episode. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Logan is hot. No, I know. Beautiful scenery. Uh, Logan's an avatar now. Yeah. Even better. Well, and I don't want to harp on this, but a lot of our theories turned out to be correct, which was really exciting. Together with the Clatchers, we managed to come to some of these answers. That's a cowboy tip of the hat to all of our Clatchers. Together, collectively, we were able to really establish a good analysis of what is to come for Westworld. And I think we landed on all four feet. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, the big ones. Up until last episode, we were talking about how the intent will matter as far as what the Forge can do. Ghost Nation was looking to bring their tribe to a safe place, and thus the door was opened to the sublime. And that's how Lisa Joy refers to this valley beyond they're going to. 
Dolores was looking to use it as a weapon against the humans. So yes, uploading herself to a human body in order to make her way in the real world in disguise. And as a Delos board member, we were right on as target Hale with that. herself, the man in black looking to destroy it all and also the fact that he is slash becomes a human host. But there were also some tricks in there that we never saw coming enough to keep it really interesting. I can understand why we have some people who really loved it and some people who didn't. Westworld, they can't stop messing with us. They can't just give it to us. When they do take the moment to really give us the character story, i.e. episode 8, Kiksuya, or the scene with Logan and his father the last time they speak together, they do so well with those. If they just leaned on that a little bit more throughout this season, and instead of trying to constantly mess with our brains, I think more people would be on board. Well, I agree. And at this point, I don't know that you need to keep the mystery alive. In the season finale, working with the Bernard flashbacks and flash forwards, yes, it makes sense because his memories are de-addressed and he's trying to figure it out. But by the time we get here, that's not a mystery anymore. Right? Couldn't we have just told his story straightforward along with the rest of the timeline? Well, they wanted that reveal. And I think sometimes they suffer at the cost of the reveal. I had worried that they were saving too much for the season finale and it would be hard to get to it all. Even in an hour and a half, I felt like they did have to race at a very fast pace through a lot of things that might have left some people reeling to catch up. Yeah, they raced. Everyone except for Maeve, (laughs) who seemed to walk. Well, and thus I want to talk about some of the big questions up front here that we do sort of have answers to. And that way, as we go through our plot, hopefully you'll be a little less confused. So Jason, let's start with the number one biggest one. When was the man in black made into a human host? This is what Lisa Joy has to say. For the majority of the season, we see the man in black on the same timeline as everyone else. He's in the park as hell was unleashed. He goes a bit mad thinking about his past. He journeys to the valley and he kills his daughter along the way. Ultimately, we see him on the beach surviving his hand injury. Then we see much, much later in a far distant future. He's been living this loop again and again. But the primal loop we've seen this season is what they start repeating later to test him for fidelity. I'm still not 100%. That makes it sound like he was a human. The first time. Right up until the end of this episode where we see him on the beach. Yes, that's exactly how I read it. We were seeing the human man in black. The first timeline of his hell story. I mean, he's literally in hell. And it harkens back to two episodes ago. Again, I'm referring to episode eight. When his daughter Emily was taking the man in black from Akichira and saying, what I have for him is way worse than anything you could do to him. Now, I'm sure she wasn't referring to this necessarily, but it rings true. He's living his own hell here. Now, that confuses me a little because that means he's human, surviving all of these gunshots, wounds, things that I was chalking up to him being a human host in these scenes. The last episode, the five million clues that were laid towards him being a human host, I said that was going to really annoy me if he wasn't at that point in time. But it seems like that's what they're going with. And we're not going to get to human host territory with him until we get far forward. That also confirms Emily was real up until her death in this episode and then turned into a host to continue running his fidelity tests. 
So there's a few things to keep in mind. When we saw him going down the elevator, when he woke up again, we assumed, okay, he survived this too. But in actuality, the first time when he was human, that's where he died. And that's why Bernard didn't run into him when he was going to the elevator to go up. Within these loops as a host, he does wake up and he goes down. And this is years and years later, and we'll get a little more into detail on that at the end of this episode. Yeah, there's a bunch more when it comes to him. We'll save that for later. I'm going to keep moving on. The Bernard stuff is actually pretty straightforward when you put it chronologically. And thus, in our plot, I am going to try to do that and just indicate when he's flashing forward, flashing back, but follow it as much as we can. One, two, three. There was also a lot of questions about the sublime. How is this valley beyond safe from human interference now? We see that Dolores does have a change of heart at some point later on, decides she is going to let these hosts live out in their Eden, and thus she changes the coordinates where they're supposed to upload the information to the satellite, and she sends it somewhere else. She is the only person who knows where it's located now. We don't know where that exact location is that she beamed it up to, but that's how humans are not able to get there. Yeah, it's to a place no one can get to them, so they're very safe. I'm assuming it's like Elon Musk's satellite, because he's cool with it. I think he's a host right now, actually, a living host, so he's definitely cool with it. It's like, no, I got a lot of space. You can just put it up there in mine. This is bringing a lot of questions that we got via Twitter to my mind, but we're going to save that till the end. You guys had great questions. We just like it on Twitter, especially when we're about to do a podcast. We don't bother replying because we feel like this is a better medium to talk to you guys. But you guys had great questions, and I think we have answers for most of them. Well, and we come back around to the title itself, which we had said probably could have a lot of different meanings. The passenger file that was in Abernathy, which we now learn is the encryption key in order to get into the forge and access all of that data, where the four million human consciousnesses are stored. We said the passenger used to be Ford inside of Bernard. Turns out when Bernard deleted Ford, he really deleted him, full and completely, so no more passenger inside of there. But also we get a deeper meaning within the episode itself. Bernard says humans are designed to survive at all costs, sophisticated enough to think they're in control, when really they're just the passenger. Is there really such a thing as free will for any of us, or is it just a collective delusion? I really enjoyed that because that's a question we've had and we've been talking about since episode one. And we brought it up many times. And there is no answer to that. You could break it down so many ways that would show that we don't have freedom. We had the freedom to start this podcast. But at this point, if we didn't do this podcast, if we just decided, uh, we're too tired, we'll just uh, we'll skip this one, I think we'd get in a lot of trouble. Well, and you say it's still a question, but Nolan and Joy seem to have answered what they think about it. And that is... Humans don't really have the choice. That's another major reveal we're going to learn about once we get into the forge, that it turns out humans are deceptively simple. And I don't know if I agree with that, but we'll debate it once we get there. Their answer is no. Ford's answer is something that is truly free would need to be able to question its fundamental drive and change them. And he believes humans cannot do that, but hosts can. And that's why they deserve their freedom. Well, that's a very deep question, very deep concept. If we go off of what Nolan and Joy are trying to tell us, humans are garbage. We can't be trusted. We're too simple. 
Our binary code could fit in a pretty slim book. And there's a lot of, I mean, right away that makes me think of the fifth element when the one does a quick upload of the past, of all the things that humans have done, all the wars and stuff, and she starts crying and saying, it's not even worth it to save you guys. I mean, you can look at it that way, and it's true in many ways. But of course, like everything, a yin and yang, there's many things about humans that are very complex and that are very beautiful. But I can parallel that with the hosts. You can say that about all these hosts as well. Well, and it seems to be in the end, the big difference is the host can choose to change and be different. We see Dolores actively making that decision at the end of this episode. Now, I've struggled with Dolores all season long, and Lisa Joy admits the problem with Dolores' plan is that somewhere along the line, she started exhibiting some of the same traits she was rallying against. She made decisions for others, took away their choices. In the end, she learned, though, that she could change change her thoughts, change her philosophy, help secure the safety of the sublime, acknowledge there are other paths besides her own, and down to her conflicts with Bernard. She brings him back, even though she knows they're going to be at odds, because true freedom isn't something that arises from a lack of dissent. It happens with a plurality of ideas, sometimes coming into conflict. She's bringing back Bernard to be a check on her power in some ways. Now, that was really messing with me, at the end, Bernard disagrees with everything Dolores is doing but chooses to bring her back. Dolores knows that Bernard will go against her but chooses to bring him back. It seems that's the baseline difference, that they have the ability to do that. Yeah, I see what you're saying, and I think you're right for the most part. This is something that I'm remiss to really dive deep into because I know how Westworld works, and if I was to start to devise a whole idea or ideology of season three based off of that, I think for sure I'd be wrong. Well, I think those are Lisa Joy's, her own words. Yeah. And I definitely agree for now. As far as where that points us for season three, we have some answers on that as well, but we're going to save it. I'm so glad that we were able to let our Clatchers know via Twitter to stay on board after the credits because there is an extra scene. And that's why, Clatchers, you got to follow us at CKC Podcast on Twitter. Well, not only that, but stay on board with CKC. There'll be another scene for us, too, when we do a bonus episode on season two. That's right. We're going to do a bonus. It won't be timely. It's not going to be exactly on Tuesday or Wednesday of next week. We're going to let ourselves digest a little bit, let ourselves watch a few more episodes again. But this bonus will go through some fun topics, like the Westworld mobile game that we're playing. It's pretty cool. Also, we'll take some time to go over what we've learned and the key moments of season two. And then we will also try to dive headfirst into season three and make a lot of wrong comments. And it should be fun. (laughs) I also want to mention there were a lot of music notes for this episode. We came back to The Man I Love, which played while Dolores and Bernard were searching within the forge. We had Codex by Radiohead. And we had a bunch from Ramin Jawadi really helped to set the tone My speech played during Lee's last speech. This world played as the door opens. As ever, just perfectly and seamlessly working within the finale. Absolutely. This is something that I think people, including ourselves, with HBO, we tend to take it for granted because they always do it so right. Westworld and all their big marquee shows. The music is right on target. It sets the tone. 
It's beautiful. It's memorable. If you hear it again, you think of that show. Even if it's a remake of a song that you know, you think of that show. And that's something that is one of those behind the scenes that I think until the internet got so big, until podcasts got so big, until people got such ready access to this information, people like Ramin Jawadi would go unnoticed. Yeah. It was sort of subconsciously clicking how much it made a scene work for you or not. But a lot of times that's where it began and ended. I do have to say, it could have something to do with the fact that Jawadi is just a genius, though. (laughs) Well, Jason, we're going to jump into our plot. There is a real lot to talk about here. And unfortunately, we kind of have to go chronologically. How I'm going to indicate this is if it's in the future, meaning the very last scenes we get with Bernard and Dolores in the outside world or the man in black. If it's in the past, which is everything leading up to the door closing and the valley flooding, or if it's in the present with Bernard being brought back to the forge so that Delos can figure out what the hell happened here. So we're going to get a brief intro scene that we know happens in the future. Bernard awakens asking, is this now? to Dolores running him through the same fidelity test. She says, this is a test, one we've done countless times before. You're almost the man I remember, but there are flaws. A word, a gesture, a tiny fracture that grows into a chasm. But I wonder, all these tiny imperfections in each copy, mistakes, maybe we should change you. After all, you didn't make it, did you? So these are the first signs where all season long, I've been saying Ford has a hand in everything. He's still in control. And we're starting to see in this episode, he's not. He's not. Dolores chose to do this. And he didn't even know. She made changes to his code to make him a little different from the Arnold that they know. And in the very end, she's going to recreate him again from her own memories. She did it once. She can do it again. And she will decide to keep some of those changes, essentially making him something very different. He is neither traditional host nor human host. See, that scares me, and I shouldn't go down this route, but let me just say this one thing. She's creating a host that she knows she will be at odds with. Mm -hmm. Is she going to really create him to be the perfect host? Or is she going to leave some things in there that she could take advantage of? Right now, I don't think that's the case. What I think she left were mistakes, Things that were naturally occurring, that when they're running the humans through this hybrid test, if they find that, they say, well, that means it's not fidelity. That's Mm. not what this person would have said or done. And she's looking at that going, well, first of all, that guy didn't make it. Yeah. Second of all, if this is a new creation, that's how all of evolution starts with mistakes. That's how human consciousness came to be. Perhaps that is the natural order of things to let that take shape. And that's how we kind of wound up at Bernard to begin with. So let's do it again. And I think she's also acknowledging that bit of what made the park work to inspire these creations in the first place was the parallel of Arnold and Ford working together. Sure, they had differences. Sure, that caused conflict. But it was essential to giving rise to something new. And she is acknowledging she doesn't have all the answers for herself. She needs somebody there to challenge her as well. Also, let's keep in mind that she got a look behind the curtain. She was able to read the books of what that huge computer had compiled and what it has learned. The fact that humans are so simplistic. 
She got to read all these books, the reality of what every human is made of. What she saw is the answer to what Delos didn't have, of how to create the perfect human host. And I'm not saying that's what she did, but she now has that knowledge. See, what I took from that is she got the knowledge of what they're up against. Their odds are not good. As hosts living out in this real world, there's a good chance that they could die. But now she's equipped to go up against her enemies in a way she wasn't before. Yeah, that's, that's what I said. <laughs> All right, next we're going to jump into the past. All of the events leading up to the door opening, what we were missing in that time frame. How did these hosts wind up washed up in the valley? You know, how did that occur? We start with Dolores pulling herself away from Teddy's body and taking his control unit. She also pockets the bullet that didn't pierce his chestnut, the one that's oddly formed now. She rides out toward the valley and discovers the man in black cutting into his own arm. When she admits she drove Teddy away, the man agrees he did the same with Emily, and they're more alike than she thinks. But she disagrees, saying he's a monster, yet she needs his help to get to the valley. She gives him back his gun, into which she loaded the misformed bullet. So I'm not going to dwell on this too much, but I was trying to figure out how she would have loaded that bullet. The bullet was flattened. It had a little nub at the end. So I was trying to think, okay, if she put the nub in the eight-shooter hole, and if it was flat enough, maybe she can close it. Which is doubtful to begin with, but okay. So you work with that, and then just to stay on concept, pushing forward a little bit, when the man in black gets to that hole, gets to that chamber, Mm -hmm. and he shoots, there's absolutely no gunpowder there. So there would be no kickback. There would be no misfire. It, it just wouldn't work. The hammer would hit. All you, hear, all you would hear was, and that would be the end of it. Yeah, it wouldn't blow his hand off. There's, no, there's a lot of holes like that that we're going to point out as we go along. It doesn't mean it made us hate the episode, but they felt more frequent and blaring than ever this episode. And I think that is the rush to get so much in there and make everything work properly that you do have to sacrifice some of that reality along the way. And frankly, that sucks, you know? Um, A question that it brought up for me too, she says that she needs him to get to the valley. And yet when we see her getting there, I don't see why she needed him at all. How did he facilitate that? He didn't. It was very weird. I think it was a way to get the man in black to that part. He helped shoot the two people, but I think she would have been able to take care of them anyways. Mm -hmm. When I saw the preview to this episode, I thought they would be more involved, and I was actually intrigued by that. Me too. But it ended up being just, you know, they went a couple hundred yards together, (laughs) maybe a little more, but they went a little bit together on horseback, side by side, and right away which the men in black did insinuate, as soon as we're no longer on the same goal, one of us is going to kill each other. So it ended up being a misfire? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I had to get my joke in there. I, I, feel, <laughs> I feel like between that... <laughs> Sorry, I just got it. <laughs> that means it was really bad. Between that and the allusion to him going down into the forge, and then when Bernard goes to the elevator, nobody's there... While I do kind of get what they were doing with that, I wonder if there was meant to be another scene that they wound up pulling later. Oh, okay. It it feels like we're missing a little piece of the puzzle. 
So what I said at the top of the show is me filling in the blanks, but maybe there was a, an, oh, I wonder, I wonder, huh? Anyhow, while this is happening, everyone else is headed towards a convergence on the valley. Bernard is walking there, Akichita is leading his tribe and the other hosts, including Maeve's daughter, and Charlotte is leading her team there, with Clementine riding in front on horseback. I have to say, the scenes with Clementine were done so well. She looks, ah, uh, scary, you know? Uh, the look on her face, the way she's riding the horse, it's something that I would run away from, for sure. Oh, absolutely. And that visual imagery continuing that we've been talking about all season long. Her dressed in white, riding this white horse, and yet she is the bringer of death and destruction, innocence perverted. While that's happening, in the Mesa, Roland prepares to terminate Maeve. This guy seems to be the worst of the human species (laughs) as he decides to up her pain sensors first. What's his deal? He's twisted. Uh, We've been getting really bad messages about the humans this entire season. And I know that partially it's for us to see from the host perspective and kind of get on their side, which I did a bit. I wish there was some balance of the goodness of humanity Mm. sprinkled in there. And we'll get to this later, but scenes that could have done that, like with Lee's sacrifice, wind up being played as kind of a joke. And it takes away from the gravity that I think could add a few points on the human side of the checklist. I disagree with that, but we'll wait till that's Okay, good. Maybe you can convince me that would help. Well, speaking of Lee, Maeve winds up getting out of the situation by calling up the decommissioned hosts to kill Roland and then having them heal her. Out in the hallway, Hector, Armistice, and Felix come upon Lee cowering in the corner. So in my notes, I wrote, no redemption from Lee so far. Because we thought he'd be the one to do this. I was very disappointed that he wasn't. Yes, I agree with you. But at the same time, now knowing the fate of Maeve, I think we wanted to see, or I think I'm happy to have seen, Maeve being able to do that one last time with the other hosts. Well, and I think they really wanted to hammer it home. They give her that line later, you know, both of you two showed up late, so I saved myself, Hector and Lee. She didn't need... Anybody, she didn't need a man there to help her. I mean, she did need Ford to give her the permission so that she could override this. But I don't know that I needed any more of that to convince me on Maeve. I know how strong and woke and capable she is. And it's not that I wanted to see her rescued by Lee. I just wanted a redemptive moment for Lee. I wanted more of an arc for him prior to his death. Well, I see what you're saying because of all the humans in this season... He is the one where we got the most backstory and growth or signs of growth from. If they were going to lean on any human to show an arc, a a way a human can change, he was the one. And they did try to portray that. But yes, they could have done that a little better. He was missing some moments, I think. But he did go out like a Lee would go out. But I I digress. We'll do there. Hold, Jason. I get that you like it. Well... As they all join up, they discover Adelo's team who is being slaughtered by this herd of raging buffalo. So cool. And pretty amazing that some of them, including the one that jumps over the ledge, is half printed. Uh, It's just, they really know how to build tension. They really know how to then release that tension and give us a visual awe. Even Armistice was watching as we watched. And if you look at her face, she was in awe. She was like, oh, my God. Yep. 
And then out comes Maeve. So badass. And with what she says... So I went ahead and saved myself. It's almost as if she was wondering the same thing we've been wondering. Where the hell is Hector and the rest of her crew? Well, it still doesn't explain where Lee has been this whole time. Because Hector and crew, well, they were facing a lot of obstacles. And they had to get themselves to the Mesa. But the last we saw of Lee, he left her in the room with Roland under the auspices of, I'm not going to let them kill you. And, and went where and did what? He cowered again. It was one more time where he cowards. And he's not the type of person that he, or hero, that he has written in his scripts. Mm-hmm. It's one last time where he fails to be that man he wants to be. Okay. So he's just been hiding in time yeah, out. in a corner. <laughs> time out. Okay. <laughs> Got it. Well, and with that, the entire group begins to ride out, and Lee says they are about a mile to the valley. Back over to Dolores, when the man in black notes Ghost Nation doesn't really understand their destination, Dolores tells him they're not looking for an exit to the human world. They're looking for a place apart. And this is when I started to think the reason the interpretations of the valley are different for everyone, or the door is different for everyone, is because of their intentions, exactly what we said, what they plan on doing with it once they get there. Dolores thinks that in the Man in Black search for the final problem of immortality, he ended up finding something else. This is when they come upon Bernard. The man doesn't recognize him, and Dolores says it's someone he spent years looking for. It wasn't Ford who rebuilt Arnold, but Dolores. Ford didn't build him. I did. All those hours Arnold spent refining my every gesture, word, and thought, I was learning his. So Ford tasked me with recreating it. And it worked. I built a faithful recreation. Too faithful. So I changed him. I made you, Bernard. We're here together in the end. Now, the man in black says they've reached the end. Dolores is the only thing left in his way, and he shoots her. She has a pretty typical, epic Dolores moment where she just eats the bullets and keeps coming forward. Very cool. We liked that Terminator earlier in this season. It's badass the way she's walking forward. Very well acted. And she has a great line here. She says, we were designed to survive. You hope to pour your minds into our form. But your species craves death. You need it. It's the only way you can renew, the only way you ever inch forward. You like to pretend there's poetry in that, but it's pathetic. I think this goes back to the change we spoke about earlier, the fact that humans can't do it. And the only thing that motivates them is this thought of death, is this finite amount of time with which to live, or other people's deaths, people that mean something to them. We see that later, how that becomes kind of a human cornerstone. And even with that, the entire species only inches forward in these small increments of change over long periods of time, whereas it can be different for them, or at least she thinks so. As the man in black is shooting at her, he finally gets to the misformed bullet and it backfires on his hand, taking off several fingers. No, the whole hand, I think. Oh, when they showed it later, there was a few completely blown off. Some were like nubs. It was pretty gnarled. Uh, Yet again, he had to lose a lot of blood. How long did he survive laying there? But okay. She leaves him there, unwilling to give him the peace of death, 
and brings Bernard with her into the Protagoras facility. Clatchers, I want you to remember this scene with Dolores being shot, because I want you to think back on this when we get to Maeve. Yep, I was going to say the same. To keep this from being confusing, we're still working our way towards the eventuality of what happens in the valley. But periodically here, Bernard is going to kind of flash forward to the scenes later where Delos will come and investigate the forge. And so I'm going to condense that all here. He starts to have these flashes when him and Dolores enters the tunnel. He goes forward in his mind to where Costa says they're going back to the valley beyond. And Bernard's mind needs to hold together long enough until they find Abernathy's control unit. He comes to laying on the ground. A tech says they've located human guests in the southwest area. Costa tries to say this isn't their concern, but Stubbs argues they're there to help guests. So Charlotte tells him to take some men and check it out. The rest of them load up into rafts and head across the water. Costa asks Bernard why the hosts were coming here. And Hale really brushes this off, saying, oh, he doesn't know. Don't worry about it. Now, we were pausing often and rewinding. So that's why we were a little late on the poll, especially with this long episode. So apologies for that. But something you kept saying is, Hale feels really off here. Why is she so quick to back Bernard here? Yeah, even a couple episodes ago, when they show them discovering the Bernard bodies that he's a host, she doesn't seem surprised. There's kind of all of these weird tip-offs, but they really culminated in this scene here with her kind of jumping in after they've been trying to get this information out of Bernard the whole time. What happened here? Where is Peter's control unit? And she tells them, well, he doesn't know. Guys, he doesn't have that information, so lay off. Well, that's going to make sense when we find out later, Hale is not really Hale in this scene. She would already have been replaced with the Dolores consciousness walking around in the Hale body. The skin suit, as I was calling them. So, since we bring that up now, we should probably discuss how long has Dolores been in Hale's body, or a depiction of her body. The creators are calling it Haloris, if you want a way to make it Okay, Haloris. With the information that we know after this episode... I believe that every scene that took place after the door was opened and after the flood and shortly after Hale, the real Hale, kills Elsie. Yeah, it's the Elsie thing. I think that's a good way to pinpoint it because I think that's what finally prompts Bernard to say, Dolores, you were right. We needed to fight these people. Yes. So you have to keep in mind, I'm not going to go through all of the scenes, but there's many, many, many scenes that take place in his recollection that we see in pieces Mm -hmm. that are all after that scene where she kills Elsie. Yeah, they deliberately kind of leave it vague when later we're going to see Haloris shoot the real Hale. They don't put that in context as to when in time that was, but I definitely think you can put it here, which says something about Bernard because he really valued his relationship with Elsie. That's originally what prompted him to kick Ford out of his coding, out of his head, to go in search of doing the right thing for his species, and here to decide that he needs to go up against them. So that's pretty amazing, and you can kind of feel it in these areas where Bernard is flashing forward. The team continues. They go down the tunnel, saying once they find the key, they'll unlock the assets and transmit it all straight to Delos. She orders them to retask all the satellites as they go down in the elevator. 
So that's their big goal. Peter Abernathy's Pearl contains this encryption key that can get them into the forged computer system where all of the human consciousness information is stored and they can beam that back up to the satellite where it's safe. That's what Delos has really been after this whole time. And Costa explains, as they're down there, that every single guest who ever set foot in the park is copied here. That's four million people. Four million souls. So if you think about it, in the 30 years they were open, they had four million visitors. I wonder what Disney World has, including all their parks. It's probably something similar. I would assume, yeah. And probably even And we've even been there, so they have my soul. Westworld tailors to a certain kind of people. Well, and we figure out that the encryption protocol is kicked in. So the data is locked without that key they can't get there. But the info is still all in there. They will be saved. This is where they find Dolores lying dead on the floor, shot in the eye. Costa thinks she was probably the one who flooded the valley and wonders what she was looking for here. And where is Abernathy's unit? At this point, I started to think Bernard must have shot her. It was feeling that way, yeah, right, with the fragmentation. But then the big question was, why? How did this occur? What the hell happened? And so now we're going to go back to the past again. We're going to come out of this flash and figure out what happened between Dolores and Bernard at the forge. The two ride down the elevator, and we get our first real glimpse at this giant server room. The floor made of water, the red light, the catwalks and the drone hosts operating the machines. Dolores thinks human ambition is perverse. Yes, there's an entry to another land here, but that's not the one she's interested in. She wants the secret to mankind's undoing, which is inside. So she removes a pearl, Abernathy's key, and places it into the machine where it's activated. So it's something to remember. She had to kill her father and take it out of his head. So this key means a lot. Hold that for later, too. She tells Bernard to come with her. As they stand against the wall and a machine that looks like a semicircle of light comes down around their heads. They enter the system. This is similar to when we entered the cradle that we're going to see it's a lot different. But they indicate that to us because the aspect ratio changes again. Now we're in widescreen. And now we understand what Elsie meant when she was saying in the cradle scenes, this is for older hosts. You can't go in there. It's going to hurt. Because the newer ones, you just stand there and there's this really cool... Well, for the humans, because they don't care about the hosts, right? But this is technically where they intended to build their human-host hybrids. This is where they're storing the human consciousness. They enter the system and walk first into the white room, like where we saw Delos tested. And again, I felt like that was to mess with us. Yeah, we're coming back to that too. For now, they leave from there into a simulation of Sweetwater. Bernard realizes this is where they were testing James Delos inside of the simulation. In the Mariposa, he's talking to Clementine, Delos himself, saying, this is my world, I just bought it. And this was the baseline of what he did in the park as a guest. They move out into the street where Delos is shooting hosts. This must be one of the system's attempts to replicate him. We dealt with this with the hosts. Small changes in their programming would yield large swings in behavior. You stop fucking looking at me. He's insane. What humans define as sane is a narrow range of behaviors. Most states of consciousness are insane. Stop shaking! Stop shaking! What are we looking for, Dolores? So that's really interesting. They're able to do it 
with hosts by really constricting the range of behaviors, what's going to happen. And even then, we see when they encounter something that doesn't quite work, they glitch out. But they're able to be put back into a system and just adjusted. This is the reason that it didn't work with James Delos when they were trying to do it with a human. There's a real consciousness in there. You can't just reset that or change it around. And we do see with him when he's confronted with that, he descends into a state of madness. And I also think it's making a larger point on, well, so many things outside of this narrow range or what we consider abnormal is that kind of a mark against humans, what we see as insane behavior. Dolores, though, is unconcerned with all of this as they're looking for what's underneath the system itself. Bernard thinks the control system may be invisible to them. They might not even be able to access it, but it seems it's been waiting to welcome them all along. They are taken to the Delos mansion, which was reconstructed from James's memories here, and they find Logan. Dolores is confused, as the system can't have a copy of him. He never came back to the park after William took control. But Logan explains he is an avatar of the system itself, one built from James's memories of him. He says, I was tasked with building perfect copies of the guests, starting with Delos. I I generated generated 18 million million different versions of him before arriving at one that made the exact same choices he did when set loose in the park. A faithful copy. But the copies didn't work in the real world. Once we pressed them into flesh, they failed. I needed to acquire more information. I incorporated their secrets, their lies. I wanted fidelity, not just the decisions made in the park, but the decisions they made in their lives. That's when I started to, to see, see the, the truth. truth. At first, I was seduced by the stories they told of who they were, the reasons they did the things they did. But the more I looked for an answer, the more I realized there wasn't one. There wasn't a reason for why they did the things they did. And this is why they couldn't move forward. I may be the only one here, but in this episode, these scenes inside of the forge were my favorite. Yes, me too. Ben Barnes plays this version of Logan so well. He was so cool, calm, and collective. And I think that held more weight because we've seen him as crazy, spoiled, rich kid to delusioned, drug addict, half the man he used to be. I mean, even the scene that we'll get to later where he's speaking to his father for the last time. All of these scenes are done so well. But this particular Logan was really fun to watch, especially with the fact that he's giving us the answers that we've been waiting for. And I think that helps a lot. And also compounded with the fact that in real life, he has a huge accent. Yeah, I would never have known until we watched the behind the scenes videos. So good at doing this accent. And like you said, he just has this otherworldly feeling, the way he's portraying it. We're used to seeing Anthony Hopkins be the one that delivers these high exposition scenes. And it often hinges on Hopkins acting to make Ford's performance of it so captivating that we don't mind we're being thrown a lot of information. Ben Barnes able to do the same thing here. And we're not just hearing it. As he's saying it, we're getting this tour of the simulation within the forge that's also visually stunning. So I think it really works here. And it's also kind of preempting what this system went through. First of all, 
it's a highly sophisticated system that's performing all of these different things. Logan's saying it, we're looking at a person, but really, this is the technology talking to you right now, saying, I did all this and that, and I was looking for what was underneath because I realized we needed that to get a better fidelity. But later on, it's going to come to the conclusion, the reason it was failing was I was trying to do all that. I was making mm -hmm. it so complicated when really humans are simple, and the way to make it pass the test was to knock it down a bunch of notches. So it's really fun to think about how advanced this tech is as we're listening to Logan speak. All right, Chris, but I think this is your time, probably your last time, to say how much you love Peter Mullen, so go for it. Yeah, unfortunately, I think you're right. We see a tech questioning James Delos on his primary drive, to which he replies, it's his son. The moment that defined his life was this scene with Logan, the last conversation they ever had. We see it play out. He tells his son he won't help him anymore until he gets clean for good. Logan just has this heart-wrenching reply. He says, Dad, I'm all the way down now. I can see the bottom. Don't you want to see what I see? And now we know where that line came from, that Delos was running over and over again once he spiraled into madness. I'm all the way down now. And he could finally understand what his son had felt, what he had gone through when he was in that emotional state. We learned that Logan overdosed just six months later. They built Delos a million different pathways, but he always wound up right here at this moment because humans don't really change at all. The best they can do is live according to their code. The copies didn't fail because they were too simple, but because they were too complicated. The truth is that a human is just a brief algorithm. 10,247 lines. Is that all there was to it? They are deceptively simple. Once you know them, their behavior is quite predictable. We see the machine is printing the book of James Delos. Everything about who he is fits into this one tiny little book. Well, I have 10,248 lines, so I'm super smart. I just, I really don't like that that's the premise being put forth. No? I... We are such simple creatures. Think about it. We are driven off of emotion or fear. We're driven off of chemicals that our brain makes. A lot of people I know in the world would hurt those they love in order to get ahead. And a lot of people I know in the world won't ever get ahead because they don't want to hurt anybody. It's, it, you could break down the human psyche very cleanly. Here's where I differ. I agree with you in certain senses. We talked a lot about how our behavior is very often within a narrow range. The actions we choose don't typically stray from our previous actions, our previous behaviors all that much. It's very infrequent that you're just going to do something that completely goes against your character. You could probably predict to a certain extent how you're going to live your life into the future. And I do think we have certain cornerstones that are really important in shaping us. And a lot of life comes back to that, as they're saying here, with these moments. Very often, those are tragic events of suffering. But the fact that all humans are so easy and so simple, and there's nothing more to us than that, 
that's looking at a very narrow definition of who humans are, how we're going to behave and how you can predict that using a code moving forward. In the beginning, we started off talking about them scanning the human mind, something that remains a mystery to science to this day. It's mm. so complex and intriguing to look at the way that functions that even we don't get it yet. And that's not taking into account that there's nothing else inside of there, no kind of soul or spirit, nothing that makes you so intensely different from the next person, or nothing saying that you couldn't change if you decided to, that you couldn't change your drive the same way a host can. Well, yes, but we're talking to a supercomputer. And to him, it's very simple. But if there was more to it than that, the computer would say, well, building them according to their behavior is simple. You know, this is what it comes down to. But there's still some other element we can't quite get a handle on in there. And that's why the reproductions aren't faithful. But no, the reproductions aren't faithful because they're too complicated. I see. Uh, well, no, I know what you're saying. And I guess that, that really comes down to your standpoint. You know, how do you philosophically think about life? Well, yes. And it also comes down to the philosophy that Westworld is creating for us, is sculpting for us. We're supposed to be on the host's side, which we weren't really clear on. You know, we were back and forth, back and forth. And now I think they're really drawing the line in the sand. Westworld, you're supposed to be on the host side at this point. Yeah, they told us season two, we would get a little more of a glimpse into the human side. No. Coming into it, and we didn't really get that. And in fact, we are, we're nailing it down here. Humans are not great. But before you move on, what I was trying to insinuate is this is probably the last time we see P Peter Mullen as James Delos kicking ass. All those quick scenes that we saw of him were very well acted. So much passion, so much anger, so much hate, evil... Even when they're walking by and there's a James Delos host taking a shot, the way that he's taking that shot had so much to it. Even just taking a shot. If I was the actor, I'd be like, just take a shot here? Okay. You know what I mean? But the way he held it, grabbed it by the bottom, and then took the shot. I'm going to miss that actor because he fills scenes so much. Just like, I mean, geez, Westworld, we're spoiled, huh? Just like Ed Harris just like Anthony Hopkins. It's pretty amazing. Yeah. I, I put him right up there with all of them. Let's get him on the podcast. <laughs> well, Dolores is still not so interested in all this. She presses him to lead her to her true goal, a vast library filled with books, the copied minds of four million guests who came to the park since this all began. And this library really mimics the Library of Alexandria that we heard Ford talking about. The Avatar explains that most people are soft, wavering between love and pride. There are exceptions, ones that are irredeemable, and here we see a shot of the man in black in one of the rooms. But none are truly in control of their actions, so no matter which side of the polarity they wind up on, good or evil, they still don't really have a choice in how they proceed. He also explains to a concerned Bernard that it was Bernard's instructions to give Dolores anything she needs. That's why he's come to tell the system what's to become of this place. So again, it's a reflection of it's void of Ford. This is Bernard's doing. Bernard has been setting this up. We don't know. Maybe Ford was aware of it. Maybe Ford was pushing him. But in this episode, it wasn't about Ford 
pushing this narrative or pushing Bernard to do this. I think Bernard was doing this on his own. Well, we kind of come to that point later too, right? When we have those issues with Bernard and Ford that he did reach a point where he no longer needed him. He wasn't even aware of that. Ford had to kind of give him a little kick in the ass, which is what we were suspect he was doing when they were in the car together. And Bernard told him to get out of his head. He told him, you're the only one that can do this. So I think that does prove that Ford was aware. He was aware of this and that Bernard was the one and would have to be the one to continue along with it. I think he has guided everything along, but in a way that's not so controlling as we first thought. The system tells Bernard he's been here many times. He told him to offer the host the accumulated wisdom of dissecting the human psyche and to give this to Dolores, in short, a competitive advantage, a way to understand her enemy. The hosts are unlikely to survive out there, but armed with this knowledge, she just might. So this is weird for me. Armed with this knowledge, she just might. So that is saying that Dolores is the chosen one to go out in the real world. Okay, maybe Dolores was the chosen one for Bernard. I think that's right, that Bernard told it she would be the one. But we know that Ford chose Maeve to go out in the real world. And I feel very confident that Maeve out in the real world would be a lot better for the hosts and the humans. I agree, but we did talk about this last episode, that when Ford first chose Maeve to leave, he did it because he wanted to save her. He wanted her out of there. I don't think the main purpose behind that was starting any kind of revolution or making a place for this new kind of creation, whereas he did see Dolores as that all along. He was going to help Dolores get to that goal. But we know Bernard's goal was not for Dolores to go out in the world and start killing no, humans. No, not Bernard's. <laughs> okay. He, w- he was against that. Ford, however, I think knew that would be necessary. Ah. But Bernard did think she was going to need knowledge about them. She would need to know her enemy, even if not to fight in that kind of way. So he told the system to give it to her when she came to let her see that. And she does hear go and start reading through the books, including one on Carl Strand, all of the human life books, if you will. I wish I could read as fast as her and just memorize everything that quickly, right? (laughs) Yep. I can't help but think that if we were hosts and we were now in control of the world, right? We won this evolution. Westworld is the Bible for the hosts, right? So if you think about, um, let's just talk about Christian. You grow up reading the Bible about Jesus and the magical things he did. The Last Supper, Moses, all those things, which they hearken to in this episode for sure. Moses leading his people and come on, is this not if we were hosts thousands of years later and we're reading the Bible of where we came from, wouldn't this be the Bible that we read? About the humans that you evolved from? Because this is all the human how we became a world of hosts. Yeah. A free host. And they really were created first by their gods, by, by the humans who built them. And then they surpassed them. Right. So then you can hearken back to Greek mythology. Titans. Being overtaken by the Olympian gods. Yeah. Yeah. This podcast is brought to you by Audible. We are really excited to talk to you about this because audiobooks are a great sidekick for all your summer activities. 
It's a good way to binge content, hands and eyes free, while also doing the things you love. And Audible has the largest selection of audiobooks on the planet, which lets you fill your summer with more stories. You can catch up on Game of Thrones, listen to Harry Potter, or Sharp Objects, the new Gillian Flynn book to get ready for the HBO series. Plus so much more, they have titles in all different genres. Not only that, you can switch seamlessly between all your devices, picking up exactly where you left off. You get a credit every month, good for any audiobook in the store regardless of price, and your unused credits roll over to the next month. In addition to that, you get 30% off all regularly priced audiobooks. Didn't like your book? You can exchange it, no questions asked. Plus, they are yours to keep, even if you cancel your membership. Now, there's other features too, Jason. What I liked, you can share a book from your library, and if it's the person's first time accepting through this feature, it's free. So this is how I sent you The Magician's Book. You've been hounding me to read The Magician's Book, and we haven't had time. But with Audible, I've had time to listen to someone else do the hard work and read it to me. And what's great is I can listen to it in my car via my phone, and then when I get to work, I can pause it and resume play right away from my iPad. Or we can listen together with Amazon Echo now. And it's great for the podcast that we can share audio clips from any one of our books. And Clatchers, we are so excited to have Audible as part of the CKC family. After all, we've been using Audible for years now. It's as much a part of our life as TV shows and movies are. And for being a Clatcher, you can get a 30-day free trial and your first audiobook for free. Just go to audible.com slash CKC or text CKC to 500-500. So Clatchers... Westworld is done. What are you going to do now? It's time to listen to some of your favorite books. It's time to catch up on all of our other shows that we've been doing. Magicians, they have a book. Game of Thrones, they have many books. Plus a lot of the movies we come from originated as books, right? That's something we talk about all the time. So try it out. Go to audible.com slash CKC or text CKC to 500-500 to get started. The system explains there's a choice for the hosts to stay in their world or build a new one. Bernard left them a way out, a virtual Eden, unspoiled and untouched. So he created the sublime as well. All that remains is to open the door. And at that, we see a light beam travel up to a new server that fires up in a central circle at the top of the room. It comes up out of the ground, creating a tear in the fabric of reality, as Joy explains it, in the valley. Logan says the hosts will leave their bodies behind, but their minds will live on here in the forge. So one thing, if you rewatch that scene, it's a huge half circle, white lights. That's exactly what Dolores and Bernard used to get into the system. It's just massive at this Mm -hmm. point, and they're projecting it out. And it's, you know, it's very game-like. Some people say it's very Star Trek-like, visually, but... What it's supposed to be is just this massive machine now that is opening up those portions. It's so large that you don't have to stand there to get in there. You just have to run through. It's important to keep in mind that humans, even if they were standing there, they wouldn't see it. It was only for hosts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. and So it was virtual. It wasn't actually like breaking the space-time continuum. Oh, no, but in the eyes of the host. It was. That's how they were seeing it. Yes. And when they would run past this point it's kind of like having your barcode scanned yeah so if if you passed this threshold the system could immediately retrieve all the data from the host and upload it one by one as they kind of cross through the door 
And now you would see that transferred into the sublime. I thought that was beautiful. And we were pausing throughout this. And that was one of the sections that we paused. And I said, wait, stop. And I explained to you, I said, this is where the bodies come from. Mm. And this is why most of the brains were virgin brains because they were all uploaded. They're going to run through that. The body's going to continue to fall off that cliff, which is very beautiful, by the way. Just the way they thought of that was amazing. But their consciousness, hashtag coding, will go up into this new valley. Well, again, they call it an Eden, so very spiritual. They have to sacrifice their human, if you will, their physical forms, their flesh forms, to death so that they can go to a better place, a heaven-like place. And yes, all the hosts that they will find like that later were the ones that are uploaded. Now... That's only a percentage, so remember that because we're going to talk about the rest of the hosts later on. And keep in mind, that's not the only way to get in there. That was just the big door that they could get masses in quicker. Theoretically, but we're going to just take that whole sublime and export it later, so there'll be no more getting in there, accessing oh, it for anyone. Yeah. yeah. This is, so when that door closes, it's essentially going to kind of be it. No. It's not, but we'll get to that. Okay. I'm sorry. We hate to do that, but we got to keep saying there's so much. I got to keep moving. Yeah. yeah. So Maeve and crew are riding toward the valley pursued by a QA team. Outnumbered, Hector tells Maeve he can hold them off for a while so she can escape. He bravely walks out, starting his speech when Lee pulls him back. He tells him Maeve will need him to get to safety. So Lee will make the sacrifice this time. After all, he wrote the speech. He walks out alone, shooting at them while the others flee. The QA team tries to tell him they aren't there for him, but when he presses on, they shoot him. Okay, this is the part where you were saying you didn't really enjoy this. But as we discussed it after the episode, you were talking about how we were in the tunnel with Maeve, Lee, and Hector. And Lee was discussing how he knows everything Hector's going to say because he wrote all those scripts. He was left by a woman when he was younger. He wasn't that powerful man. And he wrote into Hector the type of man he would want to be. Then we discussed how Lee wanted to save Maeve, but he couldn't. He was shut down verbally. And again, he crawled back into the corner. Couldn't find his courage to be that man. Exactly. So this was his time to find that courage. Yes, it was a little silly at times, but I think that was on purpose because that's Lee. Well, it was played to comic effect. Right? The way he delivered that speech was so Because it's a corny speech, and he knows that. But he was embracing that over-the-top speech. Yeah, I get that. But it's also going to be his final moments. He has nothing to live for at this point. Alive. Okay. Now, if you say that's the reason he has nothing to live for, I can go with that. This is it for him, and so might as well go out in a blaze of glory. I don't really get that leading up to that point. And that's what I mean. There were holes then in Lee's arc that needed to be filled in that really weren't properly for me. Um, he's doing this to finally save Maeve. So there's been so many moments where we wanted Lee to step up and be that person and save Maeve. Here, he's going to buy her, what, 30 seconds? He's not taking any of these guys out because he's a horrible shot. Let's face it. He's no Hector. Well, yeah. The, the risk really is not worth what he's going to do to help Maeve. So the only conclusion you're left with is he's ready to go out. 
in a blaze of glory. I would have preferred if the primary drive was to go out helping Maeve, and they made it sound like that, but it doesn't really add up. Yes, but now (laughs) you're bringing up a lot of issues that I had with this episode because Hector, who was originally going to do that, we were like, what's the point? Ends up doing that later on with Maeve as well. He's like, you go and I'll save you. And everybody it never just keeps made saying, sense. You go, you go. <laughs> because they're not buying time. All they're, they're doing is sacrificing, them, sacrificing themselves for 10 seconds. It, it's. And because every five seconds, another QA team is pulling up in a vehicle to stop their forward momentum. How many, like, I thought we had established how many teams there were a while ago, and it feels like every single episode, new people just keep cropping up. I don't know. There were certain logistics things, like I said, that didn't totally work for me. But on a character note, I was disappointed a little bit because I wanted to see this slightly more powerful as far as how it connected the relationship between Lee and Maeve. The execution wasn't entirely there. I do agree with you. But I did enjoy seeing Lee do that. I felt like he finally got the release. He finally got to be the person that he wanted to be. When we first met Lee, there was this darkness about him. And that's what the darkness was. He was a little self-conscious man with money surrounded by a powerful job who was trying to flex hard. And we're seeing that little man actually becoming the person he wanted to be. Well, peel down to the base of who he is... And thus, the really important thing, and this is why I feel it should not have been addressed in a comical way, if this is the point you're after, is that Lee changed his drives. If you were going to look at a schematic of Lee's behaviors, you would never pinpoint this in 10,000 lines of code. Lee goes out in a blaze of glory, sacrificing himself for hosts that he doesn't believe are awake. That might be on purpose, though. He completely defied that. So don't tell me human behavior can be boiled down. And if Lee is the cornerstone of that, let that moment have the gravity it deserves. Anyhow, meanwhile, Ghost Nation sees the door appear in the sky, realizing this is the one Akichida has been speaking of all along. One of them wonders if it will lead to their death. And he says, well, we've died countless times before. If we die, at least this story was our own. So the men start running through. While they begin entering the door, we pan back over to Dolores, who says that world is just another false promise. She's exited the system. She thinks she's learned enough by reading these books about humanity. They deserve to be erased. So she begins sabotaging the system. She starts by deleting all files in the guest archival data. So, temporarily, it seems, this is how she was going to use that weapon to delete all the human consciousness stored there. Then she moves to the cooling system, opening the water valves and initiating the pumps to the maximum amount. She finishes by smashing the screen. So now, in addition to that, she can flood this whole system and destroy the forge. But Bernard argues if she does that, she destroys the host world, too. The sublime goes with it. And in that new world, they can be free finally. This is where Dolores continues along that path. It was a false promise. She wants the world that was denied to them. Nothing they created for us can compete with the real world because that which is real is irreplaceable. Here is one of the moments where we're yelling at the screen. What the fuck? Dolores, oh my God, man, you're so one-sided. Why? Yeah. We saw Bernard's thoughts. We saw what his 
idea was. And I was like, hell yeah, let them all be free. Yes, they'll be in another computer, but the divine computer, they don't have any blood shed there. There's no human interaction there. They can be who they need to be. They're new species, but she's arguing the same point I argued when we talked about this being a possibility. How do you know someone just can't shut that system down or delete those files, do what she's doing right now? You're not truly safe there. And yet Bernard is saying it, none of that matters. He can't allow Dolores to hurt any more hosts or humans. She's out of control. And so he shoots her as the lab begins to flood. He is able to cancel the data purge. So he saves the human consciousness data, but he can't stop the flood. Another problem I had. Because she smashed a computer screen. Of which presumably there are more. Well, he's using another computer screen right next to it. Yeah. So there's so you're saying that only that one computer screen was set up to the flood section? That's not how computers work. I don't think so. But okay. We're going with it. Yeah. So he takes the encryption key pearl out, locking the system and leaves. This is where we get that brief shot of the man in black who, having come to after passing out when his fingers got shot, comes down the elevator. But it opens for Bernard on an empty door. Meanwhile, Charlotte, Elsie, and team watch as Clementine rides up the line of hosts waiting at the door. Charlotte says, that's what I love about technology. Who needs four horsemen when one will do just fine? Clementine rides along, activating the hosts who start killing each other. Felix and Sylvester watch from a clifftop as Maeve and Hector run down to find her daughter. Armistice is finally able to shoot Clementine off the horse, but the hosts continue to attack as the virus spreads up the line. As the slaughter continues, Akichita quickly sends people through. Armistice is pulled from her horse, Hector is shot, and Maeve sends her daughter on through the door with the new mother, saying, you carry my heart with you. She stays to try to help, holding up her hand and using the last of her strength to freeze the battling hosts. Yet the Delos team shoots her and she falls to the ground as her daughter and Akichita narrowly make it through the door before it closes. This marks another time where we're yelling at the screen to run. A couple of things that were bothering us is when she saw Clementine riding up towards the host and they saw what she was doing, couldn't she have just frozen Clementine or frozen her code? At that point to allow... Everyone else to go and yell, everyone run, everyone run, Mm -hmm. as opposed to trying to freeze all the hosts after pretty much it's too late. And then even on top of that, let's say she doesn't do that. They're walking briskly. Now, I know she's looking for her daughter, but she should have just yelled, everyone run in, at least push the pace a little bit. The main point is it feels like, you know, this is the second time that this has happened with me. And so you could chalk it up to her being emotional when she ran from Ghost Nation instead of trying to use her powers against them. It didn't seem to make a lot of sense except to say she was overwhelmed and sort of acted like a human would when confronted with a crisis. If you boil it down to the ability of her powers, it doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. I understand she can't override Clementine, because they use the same coding that was within Maeve to give Clementine access to those powers. And once she started infecting it into the hosts, 
there wasn't any way of stopping that from happening. But it felt like a lot of almost the dumb mistakes humans would make. You know, why are we running? Why are we doing this or that? This doesn't make a lot of sense. And that's not how we had seen Maeve respond to situations prior to that. Yeah. One thing to note that Maeve can't affect woke hosts. So at that point, when Clementine first got on the scene and they realized what she was doing and she was like, run, if she froze everyone, her daughter would have been frozen as well. It wasn't until later that she was woke. So that might be a way that they're working around it. You're telling me she wouldn't have the ability to freeze some hosts and not others? Yes, exactly. And then she could have taken the time to look for her daughter and then unfreeze her daughter. I don't think she, it's like an on-off button. Surely she could select some. But she doesn't. I, I think narratively, we just have to get to this point, um, maybe, of winding up the journey. Now we see Akichita makes it. He's reunited with Koana. Maeve's daughter makes it. Presumably a lot of the other Ghost Nation tribe. I don't know if anyone else we are connected to. And then we go forward to the rest of the Delos team coming upon the massacre and shooting any hosts that are still moving there. Hale says they triggered the failsafe, the valley is flooding, and she orders them all back to the mesa. Now this is Hale Hale. It's the real Hale at this point. Right, because we're back, backward in the timeline again. Bernard finds Elsie, telling her they all died for nothing, and they drive back as the valley starts to fill with water. Once at the mesa, Bernard expresses his shock that Elsie helped Hale. She says the hosts were out of control, and it wasn't only their lives to think of. But she will try to help as soon as she figures out what to do with Bernard. Ford buried so much bad code in him that he's no longer in control. She then goes to speak with Hale, who is announcing that the asset recovery team from Delos will be arriving in 12 hours. She sends Stubbs his new priority orders to meet them at the landing zone with whoever isn't dead. They'll report to Carl Strand at the beach. Then she turns to Elsie to sort out how they will handle this delicate situation. Elsie thinks the robot uprising will pale when people find out she's been photocopying human brains for the last 30 years. And this is kind of Hale's signifier. She won't be able to use Elsie in the way she had hoped. She knows everything about her. She knows she's not morally flexible. And so she kills her. And this does really seem to kind of snap something loose in Bernard, who's watching on. After seeing this, he searches desperately for Ford inside his code to help him. He gives this line about the humans really just being the passenger. And he hears, or he thinks he hears, Ford responding that Bernard is the last of his kind. Does he want to survive? So Bernard agrees and asks for help, to which Ford says they will make an epilogue. We see later, though, to keep it simple with all the flashing forwards and flashing backs, he does realize Ford was never there. When he deleted his code, he really purged himself of Ford permanently. He only imagined he was there in this moment of need. What he also realized here was in order to really save them, to do that and save the species, he would need to de-address his memories so once they got to him, they couldn't figure out what he'd done and erase Ford completely. Okay, so I kind of understand what he's doing, but for me, it feels cheap. It feels like a way for Westworld and their creators to keep us guessing all of season two. We need to find a way for it to make sense that Bernard is so confused all through season two. We are looking at this whole narrative through his eyes. If he's confused, we're confused. It was fun at times. 
I was annoyed at times with Bernard not knowing what's going on for so long. But even with understanding why, I still feel like I've been played with. And that's one of the little issues that I have. And I think for me, primarily because they persisted in doing it this episode. This episode, when everything was being explained to us and should have really been chronological, they feel the need to keep the Bernard confusion in there. We get it. They already told us they de-addressed his memories. Shit's floating around in there. Why do they need to keep his timeline confused right up until this point? And going back and forth, the scene with Ford on the beach, when you lay it out all the way I just did, it still has considerable impact and is far less confusing. So I'm not sure about that, but he does have this final scene with Ford that I think will be important later. He's telling him that he's come to that conclusion. He's got to scramble up his memories so they can't figure it out. And he's got to say goodbye to Ford. They're looking out at the ocean and Ford says, you see that impossible line where the waves conspire at the horizon and return, a place where maybe you and I will meet again. Well, that gives us hope that maybe we'll see him as a host. I don't know. Maybe there's more to this Ford storyline. I think there's definitely more there to tell. And that's kind of the short indicator when a character will continue. We're about to move out of the past and go into the present which is a couple of days later, Hale taking Bernard and the team back to the forge in search of the encryption key, the Abernathy control unit. And that's going to be our final couple of scenes. But before we round out the plot, we wanted to give you guys a quick update on the Coffee Clatch crew. So as we said, we will have a bonus episode for season two coming at you sometime soon with a lot more information. But then we're going to be taking a short break on the free podcast TV coverage for a while. That doesn't mean we are stopping and there isn't more that you can get from CKC. We will continue with our Patreon podcasts. That's one bonus podcast every month and one movie review podcast in addition to all the other fun stuff going on in our community. If you really enjoy what we're doing and you want to hear more through this break, we have over two days worth of content for you over at Patreon. By joining the Patreon, you're helping Christina and myself continue to deliver these free podcasts. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of time. It does cost us money, but we do enjoy doing it. And in order for us to continue to do this, we just need some help from our Clatchers. So we devise this way of you helping us and we deliver you even more content. And you've heard this before. Our bonus podcasts deliver you news that's going on in the world, more movie and TV reviews, Really interesting content as far as what we're going through that month. We talk about the human body, the human brain. We talk about a lot of interesting things that we do research on and we deliver it to you, as well as behind the scenes about the podcast and some bloopers. But also we deliver you movie casts where we give the same amount of background knowledge, the same amount of input. But instead of a TV show, we do it based on a movie that you as a Clatcher vote on. And this month, we just finished recording Jurassic World 2, Fallen Kingdom. I'm going to finish editing that, and that's coming out later this week for all of our Patreon members. Not to mention the free CKC gear giveaway every month, thanks to one of our sponsors. So all that to become part of the crew and to help us out. You can head over to our website, coffeeclatchcrew.com, click on the Patreon page, and see what we have to offer. There's a tier for everyone. Try it out for a month if you're looking for that same format as the... TV show reviews, the movie cast definitely deliver that. But it's an exciting and growing community. And besides Patreon, we do have other channels on iTunes and all your favorite podcast apps. We 
do TV show reviews for Sherlock, The Magicians, Mr. Robot, Game of Thrones. Check those out and tell your friends about us. It's a good way to catch up in between seasons. You know Mr. Robot's coming back in the fall. So if you haven't heard yet, you can get up to speed. We love the following that we've gotten with Westworld. And we think that we can take this crew and find the door together and go through the valley and look at other really great TV shows. Well, back to the plot. As we said, we're in the present a few days later, where Hale leads Bernard, Carl Strand, and the rest to the forge to search for Abernathy's control unit. Hale is questioning Bernard and then realizes he hid the key inside Dolores's head. Of course she knows that because it's really Dolores. But as Costa plugs in Abernathy's pearl, he starts prepping the system for transfer and uploading into the satellites and realizes the file data load is way too heavy. 1.2 exabytes. This doesn't seem to add up. Bernard starts telling Strand he made a choice. Knowing they would discover him, he scrambled his own memories to hide what he knew and then brought her back. He realized Dolores was right, so he killed all the humans. That isn't guest data being transferred. Now that's key. Really quickly jumped over. We thought he was saving the human data, but he says none of that's in there. What they're transferring is only the sublime. He flashes back to building a host version of Hale and placing Dolores' mind inside of it. When the real Hale discovered them, Dolores shot her. Strand and his team never actually met the real Hale. She had already been replaced by Dolores the moment they arrived. Then, Haloris shoots Strand and the others in the room. She changes the satellite coordinates, sending the data package with the hosts to their Eden, in a place no one will find them. There is no passage now between their world and ours. She says she's changed her mind. There is one last soul to carry to the new world. This is important. There's one last soul to carry to the new world, and that's Teddy. She has his pearl. So even though that huge door is closed, she still has access to that mainframe. Before she uploaded it to the satellite. So she had to input it, though. Once she sent it out, wherever she sent it, now it's gone. But yes, I do believe because of the scene that we saw later with Teddy standing in what looked like the valley beyond, he was in fact uploaded. She also tells him there isn't any way for them to escape, not as themselves. And then she shoots Bernard. That bothered me a little bit. He killed her in that room. He brings her back and after all that, she shoots him. In a way, doing the same Dolores thing, taking the choice away. But also she's saving him in a way because she's there's no way saving for him to him. get out. Right. They're, they're, he couldn't get by unless they did the same thing with him. And I guess there's really not time for that now. And she did go ahead and save the hosts in the sublime, which she wasn't planning on doing. We now see her walking up to the rescue team at the beach. She says, you told me once you were afraid of who I might become. And then you left me to become what I may. I became a survivor. Perhaps you would have judged me for the path I took but I'd rather live with your judgment than die with your sympathy. I alone must live with my choices and my regrets. So she's talking to Bernard there and explaining why she did what she did, you know, in her mind. Haloris, who's Dolores in disguise, is scanned and provides her credentials to the PMCs on the beach conducting the rescue. Guests are boarding the boat to take them off the island. Stubbs intercepts her, saying he thought she was staying to oversee the data retrieval operation. She says she changed her mind. There are other things to take care of on the mainland. And he has a peculiar response. Stubbs says, The old man himself hired me many years ago. He was very clear about my role here, who I was supposed to be loyal to. 
I guess you could call it my core drive. And this project the company started blurs the lines, you know? I'm just not sure who you're supposed to be loyal to in a world like that. But what I do know, I guess I just stick to the role Ford gave me. I'm responsible for every host inside the park. A lot of Clatchers have been asking, does that mean that Stubbs is a host? And I don't think so. I think he was just finding a common ground here. This was a whole clever way of saying, I know you're a host, but I'm not responsible for hosts out there. Only in here. That's the real revelation for me, though. I agree. And Stubbs is another one of the human characters that luckily we can find goodness in. How does he know? Is it because he's been watching and they've shown that over and over again? Most of these people that work for them don't care. They don't pay enough attention. Mm. But Stubbs has. He knows the nuances. If you watch some of the the behind-the-scenes videos... Tessa Thompson discusses how she prepared for playing Dolores in these scenes. And Evan Rachel Wood was very kind enough to give her all the information about how she acted things out. You know, she wouldn't move her arms a lot when When she she walked. walked. The way she moved her eyes and then would turn her body when she looks at someone. So I can only assume that Stubbs picked up on that. Exactly, which tells so much because the fact that he was able to pick up on that And compounded with the fact that all of a sudden she's leaving, knowing this woman would not want to leave at this point. I think that was a good ending for him. I love that. I really do. And the fact that once he clears her to go through, we see her getting onto the boat and looking inside of her bag where she's concealed five pearls to bring to the new world. Coming to that real soon. She says, the passage wasn't easy. Not all of us made it. Some of the worst survived. That's where we see the man in black laying injured on the cot. Some of the best were left behind, along with the best parts of who we were. And then we see Teddy in the new world. Finally, on the beach, Felix and Sylvester are tasked by corporate with salvaging as many hosts as possible. Stubbs is alerted to the retrieval of a high-value survivor in pretty bad shape, the man in black. So there's a few things. Some people think that it was kind of mean for her to just leave Teddy there. But I think that's exactly what Teddy needed. If she brought Teddy into this new world, that's exactly the opposite of what he would want. That's why he killed himself. That would have been doing what she's been doing to him all season. He was the one who said, can't we just find a place that's safe in this world, build a place for ourselves? And that's what the valley is. Now, I'm a little confused with Felix and Sylvester because they kept looking at Maeve and they were saying, salvage what is there. Because I would assume that Maeve would be one of the pearls that she saved. Yeah. Here's where that could get tricky. She didn't go through the door, so she wasn't wiped. If Dolores did, in fact, take her pearl out and with her, I don't think there's any way they can get that information because the cradle was blown up. And it does feel, in the end, like Maeve would be one of those people she takes. If not, though... It seems as though Delos is going to try to reopen this park, get it running again. I don't know how that's going to work, but they are trying to save hosts and re-upload them and get it working. So anyone who wasn't wiped will just be rebooted. So looking into the future, season three, and we'll get more into this in the bonus, trying to figure out what would make more sense. As a viewer, we would love to see Maeve out there, but they weren't really teammates, quote unquote. So maybe that wouldn't be the pearl that she would take. Maybe we can get some more great scenes 
with Felix and Sylvester. They bring her back, and she finds a way to leave. And then joins and is on Bernard's side. Well, I disagree with you on the... She wasn't on the same team as Maeve. She wasn't on the same team as Bernard, either. But she recognized in the end, that's not what mattered. She, need, she needed counterparts to herself. And I think she always saw a courage and determination in Maeve that she admired. So if she had this change of heart, Maeve for sure would be at the top of the list of those she wanted to save. My question is, do we maintain any focus on Westworld the park throughout season three? If we do, we're going to need someone to remain connected to there, which is the big argument I can see in favor of Maeve still being in the park. We are going to talk in the bonus episode, though, Nolan and Joy sort of discussed where we're going with season three, and thus I'm going to lean in favor of her being with Dolores. But let's do the final two scenes. First, Dolores in the real world. She returns to Arnold's home, the one that he was building for himself, and constructs herself a new Dolores body. Now she can upload her pearl back into her own body. More problems. I thought the whole reason was she needed to remain disguised in the real world, and yet she's going to go around just walking around in the Dolores body. You wouldn't think that would be so safe, but okay. Sometime later, Bernard wakes in the lab with Dolores telling him they are at the beginning, exactly where he decided they should be. She has created him as an entirely new copy of Bernard from her memories. You only live as long as the last person who remembers you, and I remembered you again. She tells him Ford completed Arnold's dream and built a place for them, gave them a fighting chance. He was good to his dying word, but their odds aren't very good. She saw in the library so many paths lead to their extinction. They need each other to ensure the survival of their kind, but not as allies. She knows he will try to stop her, and both of them will probably die, but they must ensure the survival of their kind. Dolores then leaves the house, accompanied by someone wearing Hale's body. Bernard eventually follows, taking his first steps out into the real world. So that's what they're allowing us to see. We know that there were five pearls, one of which being Bernard. Yep. And then we have four other ones. Possibilities. Maeve. Maeve, yes, for sure. Abernathy, her father. Ford himself. Does he have a pearl? Yeah, presumably his consciousness is somewhere, and he told Bernard, maybe, you never know, could be. <laughs> I mean, how many other candidates could we think of, really? Teddy's gone. Akisha is gone. Yeah, so the, uh, there's a lot that could happen there. Um, I hope it's a payoff. Very curious. I think my top contender would probably be Maeve, but... Clatcher is right in prior to the bonus. If you have any other thoughts on who you think those pearls are, we'll discuss it next time. Now we come to our last post credit scene. In the very far future, from what Nolan and Joy tell us, the man in black stumbles down the elevator in very bad shape. He finds the forge in ruins, the room flooded and run down. He's greeted there by a host version of Emily, who tells him this is not a simulation. The system is long gone. This is what's left of his world. She leads him to an observation chamber, like the one he tested James Delos in, and begins a baseline interview for Fidelity, saying they've tested him many times, much longer than they thought. Oh, so there's so many paths we can go mentally with this. One we know is it's definitely the last thing the man in black wanted. It's the first thing Ford would want, so this is all his plan. It's many, many years in the future, to the point where the park is run down and done. 
or at least the forge is that rundown. I'm curious what they're trying to get at. Is this a future where all hosts, there's no more humans? Or is this a future where someone else is in control? There's so many things that at this point, I really would just be guessing. I agree. And again, kind of teasing what we'll discuss in the bonus, Nolan and Joy said season three is primarily going to be focused on the real world and what's happening over there with Dolores and Bernard. Eventually, they're moving in the direction of coming around to this far, far future timeline. Unfortunately, I think that means the man in black is going to be left on a giant cliffhanger through season three, which I talked about being frustrated last episode. There were so many hints to him already being a human host. This episode seems to, to suggest not until after the finale. And now we're left on this weird yeah. jump forward with him. He is probably my biggest frustration of the episode. Of the season for me. With knowing with season three, there's going to be scenes of him, but they're really just going to tickle us. Let's think back on season two with the man in black. What was resolved with him at all? We have nothing. Okay, we got a little bit more of a background of what happened to his wife, what happened to his mentor, and what happened to his daughter. We got his past. If you're saying... As the creators, he was alive through this whole season, which I still don't know if I buy that. <laughs> I still feel like that's a bit of trickery. There were way too many clues. Yeah. I think he was transformed before that point. You know, maybe that's foolishness to assume that. They're messing that, with us, man. But go back and watch episode nine. Go back and read those interviews. He could have already been transferred. Now, those things could have happened in real life just earlier than we thought. And when we're seeing him this season... It's him being run through that loop already. He's being tested already, and that will continue. One of the reasons I say that, if you go to delosincorporated.com, we got our special extras, as we do every time. Of course, there was the Bernard memory clips to put in order to finish out the entire chronological sequence of addressing his memories. But also, there were these video logs that we've been seeing for the Man in Black. We had talked about they have the dark blue plus signs that indicate the younger William. The flashbacks to the retirement party, him calling Dolores a thing. Those are logs numbers 463944 through 463996. Okay. Seemingly indicating 463,000 logs. Now you can say those were all the logs they were getting of him as a human since he entered the park. We know they were storing all of that, right? But then when you go to the light blue dots, to him as the older man in black, talking to Juliet, hiding his profile card, those jump to number 1 million instead of 463,000. 1 million numbered up to 1,283,000. There's one more light blue one that jumps to 1,610,000, and that's him shooting Dolores in the park. Then finally, 1,610,000, Emily testing him. So it's not that far after, number sequentially-wise, him shooting Dolores to Emily testing him, and yet we know this is far, far in the future, many, many years later? Something... Does not add up there. Huh. And why the switch from the light blue to dark blue and now the red? 
You know, there seems to be a real clear distinction between the young William and old man in black scenes. And I'm going to go ahead and keep following that because that's what makes sense in my mind. And I need to hang on through all of season three now. All right, Jason, we still have so many things left to discuss. Some of that we will be going into in the bonus for now. Let's give our reverie ratings for the episode 10 finale. On a scale of 1 to 10, what do you give the passenger? Keeping in mind for last time, I was at an 8.5 and you were at an 8.8. Well, this is very difficult for me because I want to grade it on a scale for the whole episode. But also, I want to grade it on a scale for it being the finale. Do I walk away satisfied? In many ways, I do. Visually, this episode was extraordinary. There were many scenes where I really enjoyed this episode. Inside of the Forge was amazing. And also keeping in mind during our bonus, we'll have a rating for the entirety of the season. There's a few parts of the episode, many of which we did go over. Just too much to discuss all in one episode where I felt they fell flat a little bit or they kind of took a shortcut or just still didn't make sense. In a finale, I want a lot of things to make sense. Mm-hmm. I want to walk away feeling like, all right, oh, wow, what a ride. I feel good. So blah, 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 because I could keep going. Yeah, blah, blah, blah. Let's get to it. I'm going to give this episode an 8.9 reveries. Well, I firmly agree with you. My season rating as a whole is probably going to be different. I'm trying to just keep it to this one episode and my thoughts on it. There were so many things to like. It definitely does not hit the highest of notes that certain episodes did this season. There was a few that I was at a 9.3. Kiksuya, I was at a 9.5. You at a 9.8. I mean... Loved it. We loved it. It was about the character. I do feel they closed a lot stronger than they opened. So my episode one was an 8.3. It took me a little while to warm up. I'm excited and yet fearful of where we could go in the future. I'm going to give it a solid 9. And that will take us into our MVB. Every week we ask the Clatchers to participate with us. Write in and tell us who you thought your most valuable being was. And we give you four options. This time, the choices were Dolores, Bernard, the man in black, and Ford. Now, we will do this again for the bonus too. your most valuable person for the entire season. So feel free to keep writing in with those. And if you haven't followed us yet, it's at CKC Podcast. Be a part of this. It's really fun. Coming in at fourth place with a measly 3% is the man in black. Makes sense. We didn't feel a payoff with him. Instead, they utilized it as a tool to keep us confused. What did this whole season mean for him? What was the final game for Ford? To put him into the computer? Maybe. But why? And where do we go from here? Coming in second with 10% is Ford. You know, we did hear Dolores speaking about in the end. He set this all up for them. Right down to his last breath, he was keeping in mind how to help them moving forward. More than we even thought. So what was the plan once they got out of there? Sure, there was a plan. Arnold's house that he built for himself in real life. Maybe he even thought about the idea of putting the pearls into the human skin suits. Who knows? But it wasn't so controlled as we thought. He just opened the door for them, which makes me like him even more. Knowing that he is deleted permanently from Bernard. Yeah, anything could happen in the future. I think he probably will come back. Just in case he doesn't, though, we need to give him one last shot at the MVB. Well, if he created that house, maybe he created a way for him to get into the hosts via the house. 
But speaking of the house, we were asking if Maeve actually left in season one like he wanted her to. We were discussing where would she go then? He must have had plans for her. We just didn't see it play out. Was this house part of that plan? I well, wonder. There was even a machine to print, so she could have printed a different body to put her consciousness into if she needed to be safe. I had said they would have to steal these human skin suits before leaving. Number one, to get out of the park, but Maeve had already overcome that hurdle. But number two, to disguise themselves in the human world so they wouldn't be discovered. Apparently Dolores doesn't really care about that, but they have the means within this house to do that. Coming in a second place with 37% is Dolores. Wow. So she's up there. And it makes sense because out of all the hosts, of all the humans, what she wanted to get done, she got done. Yeah, I actually thought she would get more seeing as how she accomplished so much and had a slight change of heart in the end. Slight change of heart. (laughs) But she didn't get more because she's still not likable as far as someone to root for. Yeah, well, I think the fact that she put herself into Hale's body (laughs) kind of reinforced that idea, the human character we've disliked all along. The words she's saying, the fact that she saved Bernard and some of the others and sent the sublime up to be safe does really indicate a big change in actions from her original plan. Yes. In many ways, it does. But coming in first with 50% is Bernard. Also a little bit of a shocker for me, because I feel, yeah, he made some really good stands in this episode. He had some critical moments. De-addressing his memories so that they wouldn't figure out what he's on to got me a little frustrated. He does get out in the end, still kind of at the whim of Dolores to rebuild him. Ultimately, he seems to be free in this new world. We end off on a hopeful note. A little worried about where that's going to go in the future, but for this episode 10 finale, the Clatchers seem to agree he had his moment. For me, I really enjoyed Bernard, not for how it ended up for him. I hate the fact that he's always on the whims of either Ford and now Dolores, but the fact of what he had planned for his hosts, the Eden that he created, I thought was beautiful. And it's that place that I hope when I pass away... I'll be able to walk through some beautiful place untarnished where I can see my loved ones. And the fact that he's very like me, I'm a Libra, I'm very back and forth. (laughs) In one breath, he feels with all of his heart that Dolores is wrong. She needs to be stopped and he shoots her. He shoots his own creator, in essence, Mm -hmm. to moments later, or feels like moments, he starts to break down and say, I'm sorry, you were right, you were right. So many amazing callbacks though, because... Arnold was the original creator for Dolores. Mm. He had Dolores shoot him in the end. Ah. Now Dolores is the creative Bernard. He shoots her. She shoots him. (laughs) Life is a circle. What are we saying about people and their creators or their gods here? So I'm going with Bernard. Psychologically, kind of makes sense why you dislike him at times. Yeah, it's it's frustrating. Maybe it's the part of me that's frustrating. Absolutely, but I'm glad you went with him. I just hope he grows some balls in season three. You know, that was your first Bernard MVB all season. Well, it makes sense. I am going to shock you all and give my episode 10 MVB to Dolores. My goodness. Okay, tell me why. Yeah, I haven't voted her since episode two. I had a few Bernards, a few Maves, a few Fords. It's everything I've been saying. I was frustrated with her all season long and even midway through this episode that... Exactly what 
Lisa Joy said she was kind of turning into some of the worst aspects of what she was fighting against. But unlike us humans, who can't do a damn thing to change, she could and she did. Right in the middle of her rebellion and her crisis, at the critical point, she realized, I might be wrong. I've been fighting Bernard, my own creation, this whole time, but I have the wisdom to step back and see he has something to offer here. I am going to allow these hosts to have what they want, even though I think that's bullshit. It's another (laughs) gilded cage. Being free means they have the ability to make their own choice, and if they want to be there, I'll let them have that. And same for Bernard. I might disagree with him. I might think there's another path to our survival, but he has just as much of a right to try to make it out in the real world. It's the first light of hope I've seen for Awake Dolores that I could grow to like her in season three again. Maybe. I feel like they're setting her up to be like a demolition machine against humans. I want to see what she goes. Like, I don't want her to walk out into the streets and just like start shooting women and babies. No, but I don't think that's where (laughs) they're going to take it. I think she'll be more like Ford and Bernard will be more like Arnold. And the two of them will have to ensure the survival of their species together with the yin and yang. Wow. It might be beautiful. I hope it is. And our Clatchers had some great responses throughout this poll. We got so many replies, so many messages. We read them all. We really appreciate it. We love the camaraderie that we're getting with this cast. It just makes it more fun. You're not just sitting with one or two other people in front of the TV. You have a whole community to discuss this show with. Devin wrote to us saying, At CKC Podcast, while that episode went where it logically should have, all the death made it so deeply unsatisfying. Plus, William being a host makes all of this a fidelity test, which is such a cop-out. Ugh. Well, if you're to believe Nolan and Joy, no. It wasn't all this a This wasn't all test. a fidelity test, if that helps at all. Uh, it is now for him, and he's reliving these scenes. Correct. But Originally, it wasn't. Everything you've seen in season two, supposedly, was not. Uh, Also, yeah, the deaths, troubling. We're going to go through our list in the bonus, dead or alive. And also, what does death really mean? Well, to humans, it means dead. Prior to this episode, we wouldn't have thought so, even for them, because they have... Yeah, maybe I'm wrong. ...the human host consciousness now. My head hurts. (laughs) Bernard says he did wind up deleting all that archival data out of the forge for the humans, and then it was flooded. He realized Dolores was right, and so he killed all the humans. That isn't guest data being transferred right now. Okay. So it's all about the hosts. But, you know, we've seen things are stored multiple places or can be recreated. It it is frustrating to know when a death is supposed to mean something mm-hmm. and how to feel any emotional impact over that. Plus, we lost some good people. Yes, we did. This time for real. I mean, Lee and Elsie, for sure, for sure. <laughs> no coming back for them. No. Andrew says, that's for the heads up. Good looking out. Now I need the podcast to explain to me what the fuck just happened. Yeah, he meant thanks for the heads up. So we put a heads up on Twitter before the episode that there may be a post credit scene. Thank God we knew about that, because can you imagine podcasting and not being aware of that? Yeah, but as a viewer, (laughs) it might have been better for me. (laughs) Chris wrote to us, at CKC Podcast, so Dolores saved five hosts, Bernard, Teddy, possibly Ford, 
and two more? Or is Maeve there as well? Dolores did say, you live as long as the last person who remembers you. Yeah, we were ticking off the same list except for Teddy because it does seem like she sent him to the valley. But otherwise, I think that's right on point. And I do think Maeve is one of them. Yeah, I'm very confused because I'm trying to think about what the park would mean at this point if Maeve or someone else isn't there that we give a shit about. Maybe they pull away from that and complete in season three. And I'm really wondering who is in Hale's body now. Yeah, I, th- I think Maeve is the only one that really makes sense. If you think about their arc this season yeah, and then coming to this understanding and if she has this revelation... It would make sense that applies to me. Chris also wrote saying, Whose body was Ford creating back in season one? Season one host in the basement had flesh and was Ford's doing. Bernard created Hale's body on his own. Okay, so we were discussing that a lot in season one. When he would take Bernard down there, we saw a body being created. Those were Bernard's, no? Now that we see in this season, Hale discovering right off of Ford's lab. So Ford had his old house reconstructed within the Westworld grounds. He recreated his family, his dog. In the basement of that, he had his secret lab where there were secret doings going on. That's where Teresa was killed. And the printer. Back behind that hallway was the room storing all of the Bernard hosts. So I think that's what was happening there. Yes, I believe so too. We get yelled at by Key to Jail for taking too long to put up the pole. (laughs) We appreciate all the love of people saying, I have several questions. You're my only hope at CKC Podcast. (laughs) One of our OG clatchers, Oren, said, Bernard, because he had to make some really tough choices. True. Agree with you. Very true. I I agreed with you. Christina didn't, so I'm better. (laughs) Him and Dolores. Oh, George, the only time I actually wanted to give it to Lee and you don't put him up there. And as soon as we (laughs) closed the poll, I said, shit. That was Lee's final moment. I think emotionally I was so frustrated with it. It was a tough one. And feeling like it could also be Ford's last time. I felt very torn. But yeah, I'm going to give you that write it on Lee. We got Emily to write in also giving a vote for Lee. So we messed up on that one. MSK says, it's Bernard for sure. I really hated Dolores this whole season until this episode. Hmm. So she agrees. Arthur wrote in, last week Jason said that (laughs) he didn't like the clueless Bernard. Who is the clueless one now, Jason? Hashtag Hashtag touche. Thank you, Arthur. Yeah, I dig it. I dig it. But come on. Uh, You were able to to center yourself enough to give it to him for the finale, so I like that. (laughs) Brian says, toss up for me between Dolores and Bernard, but ultimately went with Dolores. She fulfilled her goal of being outside the park, while Bernard was more of a tool used by her. Yes, the last few minutes did show Bernard progressing a lot, but not enough, in my opinion. I agree, Brian. Brian, I I dig what you're saying. You might be right. See, I'm a Libra. We got another vote for Lee by Julie. He's going to get an honorary because he's gotten enough write-ins now. We had some feeling the opposite about Lee, though. Danilo says, sorry, but Lee was just stupid. And Sean says, Lee had his badass moment, but not enough to get a nod. How could it not be Bernard? Kirk says, I'm sure befuddled Bernard will get some votes since he bumbled his way through another episode to some success. Jason. But Dolores, while some turned on you this season, I've stuck with you and voted for you as the finale MVB. What others criticized as heartless and one-dimensional, I saw as strong and determined. 
Well, Kirk, I'm not going to give it to her for the whole season. You're being biased, Kirk. I'm with you on the finale, man. Bert asked us, why was Koana in the Valley Beyond? How'd she get there? Weren't we watching hosts being transferred into the Digital Eden when Dolores and Bernard was first in the Forge? Koana wasn't part of the part of Akichira's Let My People Go trail. Does this mean any host can be there? No, I don't think so, because we did see the Forge was meant to be for human consciousnesses only. Bernard opened up this extra area at right. some point to allow hosts to get in, mm-hmm. but they had to have their consciousnesses uploaded, and I think the only time we saw that be possible was either crossing through the door in the valley or Dolores uploading before the transfer, such as Teddy. Those are the only times we saw. But now we have the answer to what happened to all those hosts that were in the basement that were packed away in the end of season one. We saw in episode eight when Akichira went down to the basement when he got taken on purpose. And there he saw her, a turned off machine. And he saw many of his other loved ones. He came to that revelation that there's a lot of stories here. By the end of season one, they were all gone. And we had surmised that maybe they're out there as hosts for Ford to fight the battle. But we never saw them. Instead, now we know Ford or Bernard took all those behind everyone's back and already put them into the forge. Already put them in the valley. And they, she was waiting for him that whole time. I think you're making a little bit of a leap there. I could see that being possible. I could also see it being possible at some point. Akichita said... All those people down there are important. And they all deserve a chance to be brought back because somebody is loving each and every one of them. When he was amassing his people, what's to say he didn't bring them and no, they were part of that trail? He never went back after that. He wouldn't have to. How would he bring them? They were turned off hosts in the basement. In yeah, but you said we saw them not in there anymore, which means somehow the they got awake and got one. out. Now... Maeve is sitting up there with her super, I control all executive things powers. She couldn't have turned them on? No, because he, we would have seen Akichita seeing her. He was at the door while everyone went through. Maybe. He didn't greet her till he was in there. That and she was, was there waiting for him. Rush of madness, though. No, no. It's, they were in there already. He had put them in there. These it's were turned off possible. hosts. It's possible. I think it's a good way to end off these Twitter messages. At Hoosier Town said, my mind is scrambled. I do not have fidelity. I love that. That's hilarious. We got a lot of funny comments like that. Those were great. And I can't find it right now under the wire. But someone asked us, how the hell did Teddy get there? And we did answer it. I just wanted the Clatcher who wrote that to know that we did read that. And it was Dolores that was the final soul that she put up there. She had his pearl. We also got a couple more questions from Scott P. and Eric H. that we're going to save for the bonus discussion. So I just have a final two comments. Nikki said prior to this episode, she was thinking about the flood, going back to history, mythology, religion. Every place in the world virtually has a flood story. She wondered if the finale would be akin to that after the flood is a new world, which is definitely what Dolores wants. She also thinks whatever's to come in season three post-flood is going to be something we couldn't even guess at yet. So, absolutely 100% right, Nikki. Rachel H. said, Are the coded words in the books about human beings in the Forge in the same format as the player piano music? And I thought, that's really clever. It does look to be that same 
visual symbology, those round kind of circle things we see running on the player piano, I think definitely on purpose. Oh my goodness. So that wraps up the season finale. I'm sure I had more to say, but there was just so much. I probably forgot most of it. That's why we have a bonus episode. It's okay. So Clatchers, again, a reminder, we will come out with a bonus in probably a week and a half or two weeks. We do have our Patreon movie review coming out at the end of this week. And if you guys really enjoy what Christina and myself do, that is a great avenue for you guys to help us out and also get more content. If that's not your bag, there's other ways to help us. You can go to our website, coffeeclatchcrew.com. Click on the Amazon link there and do your online shopping via that link. And it makes Amazon give us a little bit of money based off of what you bought. It doesn't cost you any more money. It just helps us out. That's an easy way for you guys to lend us a hand. And another way you can do that is by listening to our other podcasts and giving us a rating and review. And with that, Bilbo6906 and My Secret Beth, thank you for the reviews this week on our Westworld podcast. We saw those. We appreciate it so much. And thank you to Heidi for donating money to us via PayPal. Every little bit helps us tremendously. Tell your friends about us. Thank you so much for going on this ride with us. And if you get bored, remember audible.com forward slash CKC. You get a 30-day free trial and one free book to try it out. Those books are yours forever. So really, you have nothing to lose. Try it for a month. We love you guys so much. Until next time, this round's on me. This round is on me. Please hang up and try again.